0: Hello, and welcome to Crafty Hands Club Magazine Podcast. I'm your host, Carice Jefferson. This podcast is for crafters of all ages and walks of life who love connecting with other crafters, making crafts a lifestyle, or ready to turn their crafts into a profitable side business. Tune in weekly for honest conversations and interviews about industry news trends, lifestyle, and business. Hey, Craft Cuties. You are now listening to another episode of Crafty Hands Club Magazine Podcast. Today's guest is Judy Townsend. She is the founder and CEO of Mannequin Madness, and she's been doing this for about 20 years. Now, some people, when they're kids, They say, when I grow up, I want to own my own business. And then you have some entrepreneurs that grew up in a family of entrepreneurs. And then you have some entrepreneurs that did not have a desire to become a business owner, but the business opportunity found them. And that is the case with today's guest, in addition to being an owner of Mannequin Madness for two decades. Her company sells new and used mannequins, dress forms, and mannequin parts. Her customer base is crafters who either use it to display products or to create products. And one of the things that she has seen over the past few years is that crafters are turning these mannequins into craft projects. And since we are headed to the holiday season, the most popular craft is the Christmas tree dress. So ladies and gentlemen, today's guest once again is Miss Judy Townsend.
1: Yay, thank you so much. I love connecting with other crafters.
0: Great. Well, You're on the right podcast. So Judy, can you tell listeners about yourself in terms of your background? Were you an avid crafter growing up? How did it lead to Mannequin Madness? Well, as you
1: said, sometimes a business finds you versus you looking for it. I
0: always wanted
1: to be crafty, but bottom line is I like some people have two left feet. I have two left hands. I have (laughs) great ideas, but I'm not really good at executing in terms of actual crafting projects. But that's why I have a team of designers that I work with now, where they can help put my vision into reality. But it started because I thought I was going to buy a mannequin and mosaic it and put it in my garden. That was the idea. In the process of finding a used mannequin on Craigslist, I found out that the seller of the mannequin ran a mannequin rental business and was leaving the state. He said there won't be a place to rent a mannequin in the Bay Area. Now, at that time, I had never even touched a mannequin. I never worked a retail store, but something was one of those Oprah aha moments where my gut said, you need to buy these mannequins and do a mannequin rental business as a side hustle. I would have never known that it's taken me on the journey that it has right now. So that's how I came in, sort of the back way, sort of crafty. I never ended up doing that mosaic mannequin, but that's what got (laughs) me interested. And then, of course, I think I always loved the window displays at Christmas time. I grew up in Los Angeles, you know, a big entertainment center. And during Mm -hmm. the holiday season as a little kid, the window displays would just come alive with so much excitement. So I think a combination of the visual aspect of mannequins, wanting to do mannequins for a crafty project, led me into this opportunity that then I just went a whole different direction.
0: Wow. you, You said an earful there now. I know a thing or two about mannequins. I never had the business to rent or sell them, but I have a retail background. It was just a second job with Ashley's store for four-figured women. And one of the things that I noticed about the mannequins, you know, when you're working with them, you're merchandising the product is that they come in different forms and different shapes. And so I was like, you know, this is a store for full-figured women, it would be nice to see full, full mannequins. And shortly after, there were mannequins delivered to the store that were in shape of full-figured women. Now, Lane Bryant was notorious for it. They started the trend, but to see mannequins that look like real Full figure women, it was nice to see that. So, I had experience in terms of like on the back end, cleaning them and organizing them, and again, putting the merchandise on there. But what makes your story unique is that you never had any retail experience. So, to go from not knowing anything about a mannequin it really was one a is big jump and a
1: leap of faith and a big learning curve. I just want to add to this, I think it's so important why I like to show my story is a lot of times there's so many things behind the scenes that we can make a living at. And I say we as African-Americans, but we don't mm-hmm. often see that. And some some of these things behind the scenes have much more longevity. Granted, it would be great to be a fashion designer, but you know, fashion trends come and go. We've right. all got a big big nickname fashion houses, black and white that are hot today and gone tomorrow. But well, what's consistent? Is the source of materials that are needed whether it's mannequins whether it's fabric whether it's you know zippers or needles or pins granted a lot of supplies are purchased in china and we don't have access to that but i always encourage people to maybe look and see if there's another way that you can put your spin on something to provide something that has that type of longevity and a field that you like i feel like i'm still connected to the fashion industry even though i'm not a fashion designer I meet so many fashion designers who often come to mm-hmm. me to buy their first mannequin, you know, and I work with retail chains. One of the things that make our company unique is when retail chains close or remodel, we take their unwanted mannequins that they would have thrown into the landfill, and then we take them and we resell them. It saves them money on not having to pay for waste disposal fees as well. It's not a good thing to put a mannequin in the landfill because mannequins don't biodegrade. They're made out of materials that don't biodegrade. And as you may well know, black and brown communities tend to be the ones most impacted by environmental pollution. So if I can keep a mannequin out of a landfill, keeping the landfill less fill, I feel like I'm doing my part to help the environment while making a profit at the same time. So it's a total funnel, full circle. I work with large retail chains like Nike and Gap and Macy's. They would probably not mm-hmm. normally buy from me if I was selling them a product, but because I make it a problem of theirs go away, like I said, save them money on waste fees, give them an environmentally friendly way to get rid of it, get rid of their items, allows me to work with customers I might normally not get a chance to work with on the front end.
0: Right. you. That's like a classic business, right? You, You see a need, you see a demand, you see a problem and you provide the solution to it. You're out in California where there's tons of eco-friendly things that are pushed, protect the environment, save the environment. It's a lot of messages. And California is just a state where it promotes healthy living. That was a plus in your advantage right there. And then also you're able to take what the retail stores had in their inventory and then add it on to your inventory. Now, I have to ask you, when you got into the mannequin business, how did you get your first client? Like, Did you go to the retail stores and say, hey, I have some mannequins? Do you want to rent? Do you want to buy? Or did you take another approach to get to your customers?
1: great question because when I started that was back in the dark ages before website and social media ever existed sounds like such a long time ago but <laughs> uh, like, like I'm, I'm talking like ancient history because when I first started the main we- means of advertising was the yellow pages some of your readers don't even remember the yellow pages mm-hmm. so the deadline to be in the yellow pages which means it would be a year before I could be in there so what I did the old-fashioned way, I went to every retail store, major retail store in the Bay Area to introduce myself because I knew someone looking to rent a mannequin wouldn't be able to find me. Once again, this is pre-website day. But I knew right. many people would call Macy's or Nordstroms to ask to borrow a mannequin, which they never did loan out their mannequin. So those stores were happy to say, hey, we don't loan mannequins, but here's a company that does. So, the fact that already someone from Macy's was giving my name out, even though I was still having mannequins in my backyard, I didn't have a storefront for a longest, they gave me some instant credibility when they would call and say, Hey, Macy's told me to contact you about some mannequins. Well, that <laughs> led into another opportunity where, while well, Sears was getting rid of mannequins out of all of their stores, and I had contacted one of the visual merchandisers there, and she said, Hey, we're getting ready to close stores. We're just gonna throw these mannequins in the trash. Do you want them? That's when I realized how many times stores would just throw mannequins away. Just like that movie mannequin shows, the mm-hmm. shoot up in the dumpster. That stuff is real. They're not in the business to sell mannequins. When they're done with them, and even though they may still be yeah. in great right condition, it's just like last year's style, or they're closing that store. Or they have to get you know more trendy, or maybe the mannequin has some slight damage on them. They throw them in mm-hmm. the trash. And I know from my experience as a wannabe crafter, it was hard to find a used mannequin. Um, they weren't really readily available before the internet days, so or they were super expensive. So I knew mm-hmm. they had value. So my ex-husband and I drove all over Northern California and got every mannequin from these seer stores. And you talk about a range, I didn't realize that they were maternity mannequins and children's mannequins and mannequins in sports <laughs> positions and mannequins for lingerie. I just thought I used to mm-hmm. be- Barbie doll looking mannequin. I didn't realize the whole range of mannequins. So I went from my initial 50 mannequins to 500 mannequins in a six month period of time. And that's why I called my business Mannequin Madness because I thought I may be crazy for doing this because I thought I bit off more than I could (laughs) chew.
0: You definitely did go on the mannequin acquisition spree. I mean to Increase your inventory by 450 within the six month period. Yeah, that.
1: I was just taking them. I didn't think at the time, what am I going to do with them. And then once I got them all here, I was like, oh my, now what do I do? <laughs> um, I the internet was just starting to happen. Still, we weren't having e-commerce, but I could sell my items on, on eBay, for example. That was probably my first foray into online sales. And then I put up just a little baby website. I mean, it didn't even have any kind of means of doing e-commerce, just some pictures. And I was thinking it was just going to be for local customers. All of a sudden, I had people from out of the state asking me about a particular type of mannequin to purchase because they couldn't find that in the city that they were in. So I realized, wow, this is not just going to be a local business. This can really have the potential to be national. And mm-hmm. granted, it's, it's second nature now to think that we can put up a website and reach people all over. But you know, back then it was still a pretty the new concept, particularly for mannequins. But living in the Bay Area, I was always very exposed to technology, so that was probably one of the advantages that I had, particularly in this industry. I was very tech-friendly in an industry that's not particularly high-tech.
0: Okay, yeah, that that always helped. Well, I had a question. So to accumulate this inventory, so when you were purchasing these mannequins, you couldn't do... 10 here or was there minimum you had to buy or did you have to buy the whole okay the whole bulk
1: yeah and many times because they were selling to me so cheap sometimes they would give them to me because they don't want to have to pay the money to put them in the trash can sometimes in the case of ralph lauren because they had some very high-end mannequins i paid for them but certainly not what they were worth and that's the Mm -hmm. challenge in terms of i have to grab it when it's available because if it's gone it's gone i don't have the luxury of saying okay I want a few now and a few later on. It's usually all or nothing. And I have no control. I can have several stores call me in one month and I may go several months and no calls at all. Now, granted, I sell new mannequins too. I start now working with mannequin distributors so I have new mannequins, but they keep them in their warehouse. In my okay. own warehouse is where I have to use mannequins. And some days, you know, we're having to get a storage unit to, to get oh. the new things that have arrived. Other days I feel like, oh my God, it's empty. I When am I going to get a new supply? I'm always in a state of I'm not sure, which is why I started getting more into crafting and the dress from Christmas trees. I thought I need something that I can do all the time. And Mm -hmm. dress from Christmas trees have now morphed into dress from holiday trees because we show examples of how you can not just decorate it for Christmas, but take that same structure and then decorate it for a Mardi Gras or Valentine's Ah! Mm -hmm. Day for Halloween. You can certainly always take the decoration down and use the dress form, you know, just to display clothing or jewelry. That's what we consider like an eco-friendly way to decorate. You can either repurpose it all year round or just for Christmas and then use it for something useful the rest of the year.
0: That's definitely true. And the interesting thing, when I first saw an article about your business, Judy, back in, I think it was 2017 or 2018, I had planned on making a mannequin tree, <laughs> and but I wanted a petite one, like a real, you know, small one, the
1: tabletop. And
0: yes, and I couldn't find a small, petite mannequin for anything. I mean, I looked everywhere. They're hard to find. They were so hard to find, and the ones that were available. They wanted you to pay a couple hundred dollars for it. Oh
1: yeah. Well it is a specialty <laughs> item because it's not as common as say a regular life size dress form will be. Because you know, retail stores have have dress forms, so you're gonna just have like supply and demand. Not right. that people need those smaller smaller ones. will make them more specialty. So just get a little tabletop one. We have some tabletop sizes you could use, but don't take up as much room as a floor display.
0: When you discovered that crafters started using (laughs) mannequins, you just kind of went with, because it sounds like, you know, you have these products, but you always kept an open mind as to which direction you would go with these mannequins, because it started off retail store, rent, or sale. Then you saw crafters start using mannequins for the Christmas tree dresses or the theme dresses. Because I look at that almost like the wreaths. People start off with the holiday wreaths, but then it goes into like a graduation wreath or back to school or or whatever the case may be. So was that the case with your mannequin business that you just not set out to have a particular niche, but instead just kept the open mind in the direction that it will lead you?
1: Well, that was the advantage with me coming in, being brand new into the industry. I didn't have any preconceived notions about things. I was totally open. And also because I came in as a consumer, not someone who was already in the retail industry. So I could see both sides, why a retail store may need a mannequin and why a consumer may need a mannequin. And then Mm -hmm. I also had sites like Pinterest as really being helpful. To give me other ideas that I hadn't even considered, I didn't realize that people did so many creative projects with mannequins, whether it's decoupage, like I said, mosaic or painting. Many times Mm -hmm. people turn them into, you know, furniture. You know, people will take a a a dress, mannequin legs, and make tables out of it. Since I wasn't that level of crafty, I was amazed at what people did. So what I wanted to do was just make my company available to the crafter to help them find me. When they needed something i just wanted to have the raw materials available at a reasonable price whether it's a mannequin part like a leg or an arm or whatever or whether they needed a whole mannequin to inspire people to use their creativity and not having to spend a whole lot of money to do it there's no reason to buy a brand new mannequin if you only need a few of the parts for something or other we do a big business at halloween because halloween people want to do haunted houses Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a perfect opportunity to sell some of our distressed mannequins that are you know maybe missing some of their parts or damaged or something we like the idea that we are keeping things out of the landfill and creating a whole new use for them. As I said whether it's for a crafting project we also you know work with museums who many times don't always have a big budget not every museum is like the Metropolitan Museum in New York with a big budget a lot of right. all smaller community theaters smaller mm-hmm. museums, specialty museums, they don't have the budget. So they're happy to be able to get a used mannequin. So as you said, I just kept it open and always, you know, like most entrepreneurs, always looking for new opportunities. What's a market I hadn't considered? Recently I've been really getting big in the knitting community. I was usually doing more crafters like people who sew or people who might uh do decoupage or mosaic. Knitters, I didn't pay as much attention to because usually they were just maybe buying a leg form for their socks or something like that. But I'm finding, particularly last year, a lot more Black women are visible in knitting community and doing more creative projects with, you know, sweaters and shawls and just something where they would need a mannequin mm-hmm. or a for us so I'm really getting more involved in the knitting community and I do some really great things for dress from Christmas trees they make
0: yes uh Instagram has a large knitting community if you hashtag knitters of Instagram or black knitters of Instagram you'll find a lot of uh, people or BIPOC knitters of yes. Instagram you will find a large community there you have a warehouse in addition to that, and you would have to have a warehouse because you have so many mannequins. Now going into getting your own warehouse, that's a whole different arena. What was that experience like? Like, was it hard to get it? Was it expensive? Because you ain't in California, exactly. so it costs more than here in Chicago. This is my first warehouse is 1,500 square feet.
1: Now I'm at 3,200 square feet. I will say this though, I have found ways to help monetize my warehouse. So instead of just my having mannequins in there, we have a photo studio in there. We rent out our photo studio to people who need to photograph their wares to sell online, and they can use all of our mannequins while they're there or for photo shoots. So that helps to bring in some income to help offset the, the price. Sometimes people have rent our entire warehouse because they were doing some sort of a movie. So that was another mm-hmm. opportunity. And then we started hosting crafting classes. You know, we have tons of mannequin heads so another adventure we did was people are into floor, uh, flower crown headdresses. We mm-hmm. had a bunch of flowers that we got from Macy's one time after their flower show. So we started doing, first of all, we were just doing headdresses on the mannequin heads as decoration. And people started asking to them buy them. We thought why don't we teach classes? So I just wanted to say that having a warehouse that is big enough can allow you to do some other things that bring in some revenue. It doesn't bring it in you know all the time, but every little bit helps a little bit. But I stayed in my home far longer than I needed to. It was actually one day, and I had mannequins in the basement, in the garage. And we had converted part of our backyard. We had put tents in the backyard and had the mannequins underneath the tent. And one day, I actually got busted by the city of Oakland. I don't think I was told on by somebody, but somehow they discovered us. And even though I had a commercial license, I didn't have the authority to have that much inventory on the property. I think we had just got a big truckload of mannequins from Nike and they were all coming down the driveway in these huge coffin-sized boxes, which I didn't realize could be a fire hazard. So the same mm-hmm. 30 days notice to move or they were going to shut me down. Talk about the motivation for your business, right? Yes. Yeah. It was probably good because I felt kind of like, you know how you have a flower in a plant? in a pot and it outgrows that pot but you don't put it in a new pot so it's kind of Mm loose bound. that's where i was in terms of i was afraid to get out of my shell and take on the responsibility of a warehouse but i had grown as far as i could within the space as soon as i moved to a warehouse everything changed you know people who would come to see me took me more seriously obviously i had more room in order to be able to do more gave it a much more professional kind of environment i'm really grateful even though at the time i was upset it pushed me to a new level. The same thing with my current warehouse. We did a whole bunch of mannequins and American Apparel went out of business. We had more mannequins that we could hope the store. And it just turns out my landlord in the same complex had another space that was bigger and we that moved us over there. And that allowed us to do all these other things I mentioned. Our other warehouse didn't have the room for us to do anything but have mannequins. This one gave us room to do more creative projects.
0: I must tell you, this is a business book that needs to be in somebody's (laughs) university. No, I'm serious. Stanford or Harvard. Somebody needs to call you. You're too kind. Well, you know,
1: we know it's black women, that's why it's black girl magic, right? We Mm do what we have to do. And I have to admit, I do work hard. And sometimes it is frustrating that, especially being here in the land of technology, I see other businesses get, you know, money thrown at them just for having an idea. Yes, they have the potential to really scale. So people are looking for that. When I see other people who have started the same time that I have or less, and they've been able to do more, I, sometimes I have to, and I'm a little envious. I have to do that. I know sometimes we have to stay in our lane. And, and I love what I do. I have fun what what I'm doing. It, it, I call it a lifestyle business. I don't work. In my business 24-7, you know, i only go to go to the warehouse three days a week, have a lot of flexibility. So from that standpoint, it's great. But I do see that many times that we as Black people, just as we've seen this past year, we don't have access many times to some of the resources that can take us to the next level. We do mm-hmm. have the ability to hustle and be scrappy and make things happen. But I only think, what would it have been like if I'd had, you know, more mentors to guide me along the way, for example? If I'd had, you know, more money just to get started, to so not always have to, you know, feel like I'm scrambling or, you know, have big credit card debt because I've had to charge something on my car because I couldn't get a loan from a bank and that kind of thing. So as hard as I work, I'm at a good place, but I really would like to be at another level too.
0: A lot of lessons can be learned from you, you know, when you're in business, treated as a business, like you were saying, you knew it was time to go to that next level. but your mental didn't catch up with the reality in some point because you was like, okay, I'll just do it for a little longer and then i go into a warehouse. But it took being Fourth. busted, as you say. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You know, yeah. yeah. So it, it sounds like things grew faster than you intended totally. for it to grow. Yeah. So when yeah. you got to the warehouse level, how soon did you have to staff?
1: Well, let me say this. And I think one thing that's different now is now we have terms like boss lady and girl boss and all that kind of stuff as part of the mm-hmm. conversation. You know, when I started, I hate to sound like an old timer here, but you know, this is the reality. <laughs> there weren't that many other templates. There weren't anybody else who looked like me. People weren't thinking about having a side house or whatever. Granted, the rise of the internet has made more of these things possible. But the reason mm-hmm. I mention that, I think, I held myself as a hobbyist much longer than I needed to just because I didn't see any representation. When I look at Entrepreneur Magazine, I'm not seeing anyone who looks like me. I'm thinking, you know, the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world or something like that. So I can't mm-hmm. do that. So in my mind, I'm just a little hobbyist. It was fortunately when I did go into a warehouse and then had to have a, you know, a monthly bill, then I got more serious. I think for the first five years of my business, I still, even though I was functioning as an entrepreneur, my attitude was hobbyist. And that's a really big distinction. I do think mm-hmm. a lot of these women who are starting out now, they're going in with the intention of, hey, I want to be an entrepreneur, a business owner. And I think that helps already to kind of go in with a more can do mindset. And particularly because I was selling mannequins, once again, nobody else I knew doing that. People just thought, oh, you're just selling Barbie dolls for a living. You know, they didn't take it. seriously. And I didn't take it seriously either for a while. That's that's on me. I knew enough to know that I wanted to do this, even though people thought it, including my parents, thought I was crazy. For a period of time, I was sort of a little estranged from my parents so they thought they had spent all this money on my education. And I was so- mm-hmm. I had good jobs at corporate Fortune 100 companies. And I was throwing it away to this mannequin business. They didn't get it. So, anyone getting started, I want to say that sometimes they're going to be the negaholic people in your life, and they could be even your family members. And you,
0: yeah,
1: (laughs) your passion, especially when you're first getting started, and you're just like, Mm -hmm. you know, you're still you're still new and tender. You gotta surround yourself with people who believe in you. Even some of my friends who didn't quite understand, they said, "Hey, Judy, if anyone can make this happen, you can." I don't quite get it, but I believe in you, and that really helped me to like, okay keep it going, keep it going, and then, like I said, getting forced into another level. There's nothing like having responsibilities to make you be more creative. Even last year, you know, with with COVID, you know, there were times where it got really scary. As much as I try to build a business that had multiple revenue streams, I read that book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, he talked about multiple revenue streams. Mm-hmm. But I had it covered, right? I rent mannequins, I sell mannequins, I sell new venues mannequins, I rent out my warehouse, I have massive projects, hell on the side of an Airbnb host. I thought I had multiple revenue streams. All that stuff came to a crashing halt last year. We couldn't do in-person events. In California, we were actually forced to shut down several months of the year because we were a non-essential business. My Airbnb mm-hmm. business dried up. But because I had four employees and four independent contractors that I really cared about, it allowed me to be crappy and creative in a way that I didn't even know I had it in me. Let me tell you that. (laughs) But it's like, you know, a mother who has to feed her child.
0: Yeah, make a way.
1: Yeah, we'll make a way.
0: When Um, that back is up against the wall. Yeah, Yeah.
1: there was. And there were other times. I mean, obviously 2008 when there was a big meltdown, that was tough. I even started my business during the tough time. I was still doing the side hustle. And then 9-11 happened and my day job ended and as you know 9 11 was such a scary time even if you yes were-
0: it was
1: but at that time i said you know what i want to live more fearlessly versus fearful if this is our last days in time i want to do something i enjoy so even though the mannequin <laughs> business was still sort of fledging and certainly i couldn't support myself when i lost my day job i said, i'm going to give this mannequin business a shot and that's when i really just once again got resourceful and dig dig deeper when you look back now you can think wow that tough time really helped to build my character and strength but at that moment you're like damn is this ever gonna end
0: <laughs> well you lasted 20 years so and you still going and you survived the pandemic so uh, last year was supposed to be the gravy year right 20 years to relax last, last year was probably the hardest year
1: ever because of all the year, you know
0: I mean. yeah and you lot, made it. a lot of people can't say that they made it, so right. So many businesses closed their doors, so yeah. you were blessed to still uh, be in there and to still have employees and independent contractors, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. some businesses stayed in business, but they cut their staff, you know, so that's even better, you know, you families were still able to eat, <laughs> yeah, that,
1: that really done a lot to me. So I said. Black girl magic at uh, Square because I definitely was you know applying for grants. That's one other thing I want 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 to add to people is I the entire time I've been in business I have never seen more grants available for black owned business than I did last year. And I have personally won a lot of grants over the years. I think that grants are a great way to get both visibility, credibility, and money for your business. And many and writing for a business grant is not the same thing as nonprofit grants or government grants, you know, they, they do take some effort, but they're nothing like those kind of grants. I wouldn't even bother with some of those kind of grants.
0: So it's not as in-depth as in grant depth, writing, depth, okay, depth. for now, for profit okay.
1: And here's the great thing about them is that many times, particularly the more money involved, the more details, it allows you to get really focused on your business. So to me, since I don't take the time to write a business plan every year, a lot of people say you should do, when I enter a contest, that's the equivalent of the business plan for me. It allows me to get really you know, granular about my business, think about where I want to be. And maybe I win something at the end as a prize, sort of like a little carrot who kind of like gets me to do something I should be doing anyway. But since I don't do it, I use the grants as an opportunity. But anyway, so now there are more grants available than ever. And I encourage people to seek them out. You know, I'm going to start actually sharing resources on a website that I have to kind of list different grants that are available and give people tips on how to, how to enter them. They're not going to be enough to necessarily, you know, sustain you long term. It's not like getting right uh, venture capital kind of money where someone is coming in and, you know, or being on Shark Tank and get a big influence, a big right. infusion is what I'm trying to say. You're not going to get a huge Thank influence. you for
0: sharing that. So in addition to what you said, for, for those who are listening, there's a website called Ask Alice, and I will post the link in the description. That this episode. Hello, Alice. And I get emails from them on the weekly basis, letting me know what kind of grants are out here. And like you said, for Black women in particular, there were very little funding resources. And a lot of times loans were pushed. (laughs) So to see that there's grants available and grants, you don't have to repay But you do have to have your stuff together. So that means business license. Yes, you need to be as an entity. Yes, you have to have some kind of sales. Yes, Yes, you need a separate bank account. (laughs) So you
1: you do need to have absolutely. But nowhere Mm -hmm. near the kind of things that they're required normally you're trying to get a loan.
0: Right. And then there's some programs like Goldman Sachs. I know someone that is in that program is very intense it's hard to get into but it it makes you focus
1: and that's another way it's not a grant in terms of cash but it's grant in terms of knowledge and that's Mm -hmm. i've always done a combination of those over the years and that's what helped me not at all no one in my family had been a business owner so i really was kind of like you know out there in the dark but the great news is there's so many resources online whether it's you know it's a or, you know, programs like Goldman Sachs. Other people have incubator programs or accelerator programs. Those things provide a really intense learning that can really help you get to the next level.
0: What were some tough lessons that you learned when you, over the 20 years of being in the business, aside from adjusting to the pandemic and transitioning to the warehouse, what would you say were the toughest lessons that you have learned being in business so far?
1: Well, it's interesting because on one hand, it's tough. What I'm, what I'm going to say is tough, but it's also good at the same time. Meaning that I didn't realize that growing a business means that I just couldn't focus on the part that I love, which is management. I'm still excited anytime I get a new acquisition of management. But to introduce me the business, I now have to be knowledgeable about shipping, about accounting, about you know cash flow, about HR issues. These are things that no one really tells you about being a business owner. You're a small business owner and running it all all together. But on the Mm -hmm. other hand, Therese, it helped me to grow and develop a way that I would have probably stagnated. I'm 64. And when I see some of my other friends who have worked like a regular job and just can't wait to retire, there's a part of them that feels old stuff. Not everybody, but some. You definitely need challenges in your life to keep you feeling more excited and rejuvenated and, and that state of learning. I am so much more savvy on social media than many of the people in my age group because I had to be. I'm not saying mm-hmm. that's not that wonderful, but it's like I had to learn about Instagram and Facebook. Once again, I didn't grow up with that stuff. That wasn't out there when I was doing it. Now I'm looking again on TikTok. So on one hand, it's kind of a challenge because there's always some new something, right? There's either a new platform to be on or there's some other kind of issue to be concerned about. You know, the fact that now I've heard you have to be very careful with your website to make sure that it's ADA compliant so that if somebody who's blind or hearing impaired can go to your website as easily as someone who's not. I didn't know about that. Someone someone told me about it. That's a great news about, great thing about being involved with other entrepreneurs and other kind of support groups so you can hear about these things. But that has nothing to do with managing. That's just running a business. And I think that was surprising to me is that if you want to go from hobby to business, you're not going to be able to just focus on what you love, but you're going to have to develop some other parts that may not be good, you may not like as much. doesn't mean you have to be an expert at it. I mean, I am not a bookkeeper. I hire a bookkeeper. And some of that funds that I pay her, I would prefer to keep in my pocket but I know I need to have her to keep my books in order. I was able to get a PPP loan early on when a lot of small businesses, especially black, did not get a PPP loan.
0: But Mm -hmm. that's because
1: I had my books in order and she could put what I needed together. I was too freaked out and too emotional. If I had to do it myself, I probably would not have done it. With her, I could just tell her, this is what we need to fill out this application. She got it done. So I'm saying that in terms of, you know, you don't have to be an expert, but you need to have those other people in your team, either as a contractor or employee who can do those things. And you have to be knowledgeable enough to be able to, you know, oversee them or manage what they're doing. I just can't have a blind eye about it. I never wanted to be an expert of, you know, packing boxes or.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but you had to learn it, you yeah. know,
1: shipping, you know, shipping on FedEx, all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. No, I just play with my mannequin. So that was right biggest surprise. But like I said, it was also the biggest opportunity for growth. And, you know, when you work for a corporation, you can only do that one thing that you're hired to do. You know, with the great news about being a business owner, you get to do a variety of things. And when your life condition is high, those things feel exciting. When your life condition is low, it feels like, woe is me.
0: That is so true because you know what you were able to do, you know, maximize the space to bring in some additional income. Working for somebody else couldn't do that, (laughs) you know. And
1: a bookkeeper, you're just going to do bookkeeping, you don't get to do bookkeeping. And oh, I also have an interest in photography, can I do some of that? You know, when my staff, we're all multifaceted, you know, nobody just does one job, they may have one thing that's their dominant job. But we all kind of bounce around into all different kind of things. So I have one of my people sometimes; she's our our cook. We have a kitchen at this. I had to stop mm-hmm. having a hired caterer bring in food, so she's like cook. She'll step in and cook some meals, and then the next minute, you know, she's helping design our dress from Christmas trees or she's taking photos. Not everybody likes that. I get that, but for for my team, it works. They like to have a variety of things to do,
0: and it keeps things exciting. And also, you structure your business to where there's no one employee that's just dominant, you know, to a point to where if they leave, the company's in trouble,
1: (laughs) you know. You're a small company, you can't really afford that. It's not always easy
0: to do. Not at all. Not at all. And I do accounting during the day. So yes, it's important to keep those finances in order.
1: And you know what I like, too, is to show that you can have a fun and creative business, but you still have to follow some basic business principles. I think that was the other thing that was surprising to me. And that's, that's okay. why it's so great that if you like the core of what you're doing, because I so like doing mannequins, it makes the other stuff more palatable. But if I didn't like doing mannequins and had to do these other things, it would be hard. I enjoy finding new ways that people you know, use mannequins. I mean, I can be on Pinterest and social media for hours looking at stuff because I like doing that. But if I didn't like doing that and that felt like a drudgery, that'd be a little bit harder.
0: What are some trends in terms of mannequins? Like what are some popular crafts other than the Christmas tree dresses?
1: The popular or mannequin lamps. And this doesn't seem to be as, uh, as popular with people of color for some reason.
0: I, don't I have seen those a lot, yep.
1: But I do see that seen more being more white people for some reason. Halloween, people do all kinds of fun stuff for Halloween. And then with the uh, heads, people are doing those diva, they call them diva wreaths, I think that's what they call them diva heads. You know, where they take a mannequin head and they make these beautiful sort of Afrocentric Reeves with them. I don't know how else to. Climb. Sometimes they go on a door. Sometimes they just kind of sit on the table. But I've seen a lot of things of people doing fun things with heads. Oh,
0: I know what you're talking about. They're in different craft groups. Some of the ladies have shared those designs. They take
1: designs. Like, heads and really make mm-hmm. them
0: kind of pieces. You know, that's
1: kind of like the trend. So like things will go for a trend for a while. Now, the dress one Christmas tree is something that when we've been doing it for a while, but Michelle Obama had one in the White House in 2014. And since then, they really have t- t- taken off in popularity. And I don't see them actually subsiding. You know, something has kind of come and go. I've seen them just kind of like expand. Where, it, as I said, people are now doing them all year round, not just for Christmas. It used to be just kind of like a little niche thing for kind of people who were kind of non-traditionalist. But I mm-hmm. see kind of expand to other areas. But in terms of other year-round things, what I'm finding is that more Black women are seeing that there are African American mannequins that look like them and yes. then find them to then display their clothing or their hat or wig and jewelry mm-hmm. they're not really using it in a crafty way in terms of they're not turning the mannequin to something else but they're using the mannequin display their craft i think people are realizing that a mannequin really can help enhance your sales and i'm not just saying that because i sell mannequins people want to see a nice presentation not just something laid on the floor or on a hanger. So I'm seeing more black uh, women buying mannequins in general. And then ideally, if they get a mannequin that has a black face, there are more choices for that. Now, there are more choices, but unfortunately, production has been really terrible this past year because of 2020, where before they were hardly even making any black mannequins. I had to beg and plead to try to even find some black mannequins that really look black, not like a white girl painted some ashy kind of complexion. Then when George Floyd happened, all of a sudden there was a much higher demand by mainstream people to want black mannequins. So then that started more than being produced so they were more readily available. Now they're a little bit harder to find, but at least I feel like people realize we want to see more representation, not just in terms of size, as you know, we're now seeing more plus-size mannequins than we've ever seen before, but also Mm -hmm. You know, when Bionna did her lingerie, not only did she have plus-size models, She had plus size mannequins for her soul. You see plus size mannequins up front and center.
0: Yes, you do.
1: (laughs) If you even saw a plus size, she was over in the back corner, hidden away, right?
0: Mm -hmm. And it was only like the same kind, that one kind. And they always kind of matronly looking, right? like you can't
1: be full figured and voluptuous. So that's a trend that I'm seeing. It's not necessarily a crafty trend. But it involves mannequins where they're saying, hey, we're going to put a plus size girl next to a regular girl. We're not going to segregate them and put them just in the back. So when I go to Target and I see a display of all sizes, I'm like, "Ooh, yeah, we've come a long way.
0: (laughs) Yes, I agree from a consumer standpoint. And, Judy, where can listeners find you? Because you have provided a wealth of information And on the website where you're going to share the different resources, I will also include that link in the description of today's episode. So make sure you get that information to me.
1: I will. because What we did is because in the Bay Area, we found that when people were trying to look for Black businesses to support after George Floyd, there was always the same four names that were coming up. And they tended to be just kind of restaurants. So I work with some other Black business owners to create a Black business website that had blacks from in all industries, there are black wineries, there's a black woman who does stained glass restoration, there's all different kinds of industries. So we put all of that on one website, and within that website, we started adding information about grants. So I'll send that to you. So if people are coming to the Bay Area and they want to look for Black businesses support, they can look there. And then when they're at home, they can also look at all different grants that we show that are available.
0: And where can listeners find you in terms of social media? What's your website? I'm pretty much all over the
1: place. So the website is mannequinmadness.com. But I certainly am on, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Pinterest, and I'm on Instagram. Under,
0: Under mannequin Facebook. madness. I'll list that information in the description of the this uh, episode. Is,
1: the other website is SF Bay Black Biz. like SF Bay is in the Bay Area, blackbiz, B-I-Z dot com. And that's where okay both the grants and different black businesses.
0: Wonderful, wonderful. Well, Miss Judy.
1: Well, I'm also is... happy to share my story to people and provide encouragement. I wish that I'd had more encouragement along the way when I got started. And there's always somebody's shoulders that you're standing on. You know, at least I had some opportunity
0: mm-hmm.
1: to be in the possibility of being an entrepreneur. To ancestors Academy. Now I want to be able to pave the way for those other women who want to be, you know, boss ladies and maybe be able to share share my story, share my encouragement, tell you you can do it, because a lot of times, you know, we don't have enough examples of yes we can. Or we see these way extremes, you know, I mean I'm I'm a huge fan of Tabitha Brown. I mean she's like one of my role models of someone who was really slaving a lot behind the scenes, never gave on a vision. And then when it hit, it hit big time. You know, we Mm -hmm. see these, what we think are overnight sensations. And, you know, she's been working 23 years to get to that point.
0: You know, and a lot of times people think it's overnight. I had interviewed someone that opened up a local yarn shop, not too far from where I live. And she said, this was a dream 15 years in the making. And, you know, there were a lot of delays and, you know, life happens. And people were coming up to her like, oh, it's nice that you were able to open your store so soon. And she's like, are you kidding? This was 15 years. Like, and she even was more transparent to say she watched other people open their shops that are no longer in existence, but, you know, to sit and watch other people around you open their shop and you like, okay, this is my dream. Is my time going to ever come or you know, how much longer am I gonna wait? Right. Yeah, that does something to your psyche. So a lot of people think overnight, no, it's no such thing as that, like it it takes years to build that brand. It takes years to build the following. And it most certainly takes a lot of work and effort and consistency to get it to its potential. But in the
1: process, you know, I I, I someone sitting on the outside and they think, damn, it sounds that hard, why bother? But it's so worth. And then one day it, it, it's almost like you plant a seed and you don't see the growth immediately, right? But you just mm-hmm. need to do it. Then one day you see a little crowd. You know, so it's a whole big, you know, bountiful harvest. But it just takes tending to and not giving up. And surround you surround yourself with people who can say, yes, you can do it. Or yes, I'll lend you a hand yes this is a great idea those kind of things that's what
0: keeps you, keeps you going you need to yes. you all by yourself is kind of no not at all well thank you thank you thank you so much Miss Judy Townsend it was a joy and a pleasure to have you as a guest well Craft Cuties that is a wrap hope you enjoyed today's episode if you have done so go ahead and share on social media share this episode be sure to tag Crafty Hands Club Mag and use the hashtag CHC Podcast. That is it for this week. Tune in next week for a new episode.